Freedom, man. That's what it's all about. You've got to groove on freedom, like the good book says. listening to what on earth is happening this show will discuss the topics of human consciousness mind control natural law the occult and all issues that affect the freedom of the people of earth what on earth is happening will endeavor to shine light upon the darkness of our world and to offer empowering solutions to the problems we face as humanity approaches its critical moment of choice. And now, here is your host, Mark Passio. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to What on Earth is Happening right here on the Intel Hub News Network. I'm your host, Mark Passio. This show is live every Tuesday evening from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. And tonight, we're starting in a half an hour late. There was some, uh, there was some confusion on the network end. I'm not uh, really sure what happened there. I tried to get uh, in touch with, uh, with Bob uh, Tuscan, who... Uh, uh, host Truth Be Told Radio that comes on right before me. It looks like uh, uh, it appears that a rerun of that show was airing uh, on Truth Be- on um, the Intel Hub network. And I'm not really sure why uh, that uh, was the case, but I have not been able to contact Bob, so I tried to get a hold of him over the last half an hour. And uh, what I just did was disconnect from the uh, IHNN uh, feed, and I'm just going to do the show live through talk show this evening. So, not a problem. We will just continue with our discussion on subversive symbolism as a methodology of mind control, which we've been talking about for the last uh, few weeks, and we will be going into several more weeks' uh, discussion on symbolism because it is so vital and it is so important to understand the building blocks of this language if we are going to understand the uh, methodologies by which the human mind is controlled in our culture. Now, let me uh, give the uh, call-in numbers. If anybody uh, wants to call into the talk show network this evening, we'll be going with just that one call-in line. The number to call in is 724-444-7444. Once again, the call-in number 724-444-7444 and put in the call ID number, which is 83515. Once again, the call ID 83515. The topic will be symbolism, but again, there are never any taboo topics here on what on earth is happening, so you could talk about whatever you like. Um, my website, whatonearthishappening.com, I want to direct you there, and you can uh, find the images for tonight's tonight's broadcast right up on the radio listen page for those who are listening on talk show you're already on that page so there will be images for tonight 
February 22nd, 2011, listed right on the Radio Listen page on my website. Those are the images we're going to discuss tonight. I have a few event announcements I'm going to read first, and then we're going to jump right in with the three forms of symbolism that we're going to discuss tonight, which is the symbolism of the pentagram, which we began with uh, last week but didn't get very far into, the symbolism of the pine cone, and the symbolism of the pyramid and all-seeing eye. Now, uh, event announcements. Truth, Freedom, Prosperity will be hosting their monthly free documentary showing and discussion night. This is tomorrow evening, that's Wednesday, February 23rd, from 7 to 10 p.m. at Media Bureau Studios. Media Bureau is located at 725 North 4th Street in Philadelphia. That's the corner of 4th and Brown. Okay, and it's actually on 4th Street, the entrance, and uh, you'll see a sign on the door. You go up to the second floor, which is where the screening room is at. Um, this uh, week, they're going to be showing the documentary called The End of America by Naomi Wolf, and it's a good one, and it's a good introductory documentary uh, for people to bring friends to, and that's what we hope people will do to get them involved, people who may not really be too aware, uh, this is a, uh, a good beginning introductory documentary by Naomi Wolf, The End of America. For more information on the free documentary screening and discussion nights that are hosted monthly, please visit www.truthfreedomprosperity.org. That's truthfreedomprosperity.org. The Free Your Mind Conference Racing Toward Us, a little over a month away. Free Your Mind is a conference on consciousness, mind control, and the occult. It's a unique two-day conference scheduled for April 9th and 10th, 2011 in Philadelphia, featuring multiple speakers and diverse educational materials for the purpose of raising public awareness of mass mind control techniques, the covert and subversive influences upon our consciousness and behavior, trauma-based and ritualized abuse, and the practical mental and emotional healing methodologies available for those affected by these devices. This is Saturday, April 9th and Sunday, April 10th, 2011 at Ruba Hall. That's at 414 Green Street, 414 Green Street in Philadelphia. The doors open at 9 a.m. The speakers begin at 10 a.m. on both days. Admission is only $20 per day if you get your tickets in advance through the website, $30 per day at the door. The featured speakers, Aaron McCollum, Alfred Weber, Andrew Basiago, Bob Tuscan, Barry Yordozu, Freeman Fly, Jan Irvin, John Nicholson, Joseph Mara, Larkin Rose, Laura Eisenhower, Mark Matika, Mark Passio, Michael Kelly, Paul Marco, and Suzanne Taylor. For more information on this great conference coming up in Philadelphia, please visit the conference website at www.freeyourmindconference.com. That's freeyourmindconference.com. Finally, coming up in late April, April 23, 2011, Truth, Freedom, Prosperity brings you Fed Stock 2. It's the end of Fed rally for Philadelphia. Turn your back on the Federal Reserve. There's uh, no bands announced as of yet, but there will be many bands scheduled to play in Philadelphia for as part of Fed Stock 2 on April 23, 2011. 
For more information, please visit truthfreedomprosperity.org or phillyandthefed.com. That's P-H-I-L-L-Y and thefed.com. All right. Those are the event announcements for tonight. So let's get going with the show. We've talked about symbolism over the past few weeks. We're going to uh, be doing this a lot more in coming weeks. And uh, not to belabor the topic, but I want to briefly explain uh, what we're going to be getting into in uh, the next few weeks and probably into uh, about over a month on this show at least because I feel in my presentations, uh, specifically in the ones that I give on my website, that um, I don't cover this topic in enough depth. And when I race through it, because I have a limited amount of time to make a presentation in person, uh, you know, at a live event, which is where those presentations are filmed at, um, it's difficult to create a true tapestry when it comes to symbolism because you have a limited amount of time in which to do so. On an ongoing radio show like this, I can get in-depth on symbols and help people to understand this language in a greater amount of detail. So I just want to briefly outline what symbols we will be looking at and generally how many more weeks we're going to be uh, going through this topic before we get to something different. So we've already looked at solar symbolism. We've taken a look at life force symbolism astrotheological symbolism, and we've looked at the symbol of the fasces. We started looking at last week the symbol of the pentagram, which is where we'll pick up on this week. We will also look at tonight the symbol of the pine cone and the symbol of the all-seeing eye. Next week, should I be able to get through um, in the next two hours these three forms of symbolism and take a few calls on it, we will be looking at goddess symbolism. And the goddess symbolism that I will be discussing will be broken down in three basic parts. We will be looking at the symbolism related to the goddess of the illuminated torch, the symbolism of the owl, and the symbolism of the dove, two symbols that are uh, related to the goddess, and the third, of course, being the illuminated torch. But those three forms of symbolism are, in fact, goddess symbols, as we will take a look at next week. After that, I will be kind of taking a break from symbolism, but not really, because we will be looking into the tradition of Freemasonry over the next couple of weeks after we look at goddess symbolism from a perspective of its symbols, okay? Freemasonry is uh, an allegorical tradition, and its symbols are one of the main ways that it teaches its lessons. So we will be looking at uh, what real Freemasonry is all about, and we will also be looking at uh, dark masonry. So we'll be looking at Freemasonry as a dual tradition that uh, teaches a true or pure um, message, but then that can be perverted and uh, taken over and infiltrated and used in a perverse way by those who want to hoard that knowledge and use it as a, a mechanism for controlling others. And indeed, both of these forms of Freemasonry exist and are practiced in the world today. So, uh, and I would say one of them is Freemasonry and the other is simply Masonry or what I call Dark Masonry. Um, these are two very, very uh, antithetical traditions. They are, they are polar opposites, in fact. 
when you understand what the real tradition of Freemasonry being illustrated by its allegory and symbols really is, you understand that it is uh, attempting to do the true great work of, elevate human, of elevating human consciousness. Now, I know that will be considered controversial by some people listening to this show, but again, uh, people who don't understand that the occult has two sides to it and think that it is all negative and all, quote, evil, don't really understand what the occult is, and they're responding in fear to something that they don't understand. And that's what I attempt to do, is dispel that fear by explaining to people what uh, some of these traditions originally are intended to be versus what they have uh, come down to us in the modern age as. And those two things can often be quite different and often polar opposites, as I've already said. So we'll be looking at Freemasonry in depth probably over a couple of weeks as we looked at uh, Kabbalah and Tarot over a couple of weeks. Okay, after that, we will look into talismanic symbolism. This is symbolism that is imbued with um, power by being carried on the person. Okay, so we will look at how symbols get into the subconscious by being carried continuously. Okay, that's called a talisman, something that is complex symbology that is, that is carried in order to, to have it work upon the, the subconscious mind. And we will specifically be looking at the talismanic symbolism that is on the uh, dollar bill here in the United States. We'll be looking at the great seal uh, of the United States, specifically the obverse side of the great seal. Um, I'm sorry, not the obverse side, the reverse side. Okay, The reverse side of the great seal, which is the uh, pyramid with the capstone um, missing and the all-seeing eye above it. We'll be looking at uh, the all-seeing eye symbolism tonight, but I won't get into the uh, seal on the back of the dollar bill. I'll be mentioning it, but I will not be breaking it down tonight. That will actually be a show in and of itself where I break down that, that symbol in its entirety. So after that, we'll look at something called gematria, and this is another occult tradition. This is a tradition of numerology connected with form, okay? So it is merging math, form, and number, and um, it's called gematria, G-E-M-A-T-R-I-A, geometry combined with mathematics. So gematria w plays a role in how occultists um, employ uh, different um, strategies and the times that they enact certain events and uh, carry out certain, um, certain uh, machinations. So they are very much into numerology, dark occultists spe specifically are. Um, and we need to understand a little bit about gematria to understand why that is so important in the occult way of viewing the world. Okay? Now, for those, again, who may be listening to this show and have been for weeks or even the last couple of weeks or even just new to it, what I'll say about symbolism, I've said before and I'll repeat, if you approach this from a left brain perspective, a purely logical left brain perspective, okay? And what I mean by that is that you're not looking deeper into the creative and intuitive aspects of how these symbols can be employed, okay? And understand that these are employed and meant for subconscious viewing, meaning that when the eye looks at something, 
It is not immediately recognized in its connotation by the conscious mind. But the subconscious mind is essentially all-knowing. And in order to get down to the root meanings of some of these symbols and how they are being used, we have to look at them from a holistic perspective, not a purely left-brain, scientific, you know, uh, Western worldview. This world is all there is uh, as far as the flesh and the materialism of it goes, okay? We have to employ more broad thinking, okay, broader thinking to this topic. And that involves using the right brain, okay, which, again, is the creative side of the brain. It's the sacred feminine aspect of the, of the consciousness in order to understand how these symbols really work, okay, because, again, they're working at a subconscious level, not at a conscious level. Once we understand the language, once we understand the building blocks of the language and then we can read the language, we're going to bring that subconscious awareness up to the conscious level. But again, if you take the approach, oh, I don't believe in that, that's just you know somebody else's belief and that doesn't affect me, you're missing the point entirely. Symbols do not have to be believed in for them to have an effect. Other people believe in the type of worldview or the type of ideology that goes hand in hand with some of the symbolism of this symbolism, and they are using those symbols uh, to affect different kinds and modalities of consciousness in the general population who is unaware of how those people are using them, and it has effect whether those people are unaware of it or not. It has effect. The only way that you can start reversing that effect is to become fully conscious of what the, this language is saying. And therefore, you bring up out of the subconscious mind to the conscious mind what this language is actually saying to you. So then you can understand it. It's like someone talking behind your back in a foreign language that you have no idea what they're saying. Okay. They can communicate information to you to somebody else. They could insult you in front of other people who may understand that language, and you would be affected by it, yet you would be completely unaware of exactly how you would be being affected by it. But if you then learned the grammar, the building blocks, the grammar, and the syntax of that language, then you would understand as soon as they opened their mouth what they were saying about you. That's how symbolism works, okay, as a language. So... Just to continue giving a very brief outline of things that we'll, we'll cover later, after we look at talismanic symbolism, we will then look at symbolism employed in architecture, meaning in buildings that are around us. Not only do they use them in product placement on paper or on television, uh, uh, things like that, but they also use them actually in architecture, and I mean in the actual um, ways that buildings are built to, to represent different things and ideas. So we'll look at architectural symbolism, and then finally we'll wrap up with a piece of complex symbolism that's kind of abstract, yet it is very deep occult uh, symbology, and that is the symbolism of the hypercube. And it's important to understand the symbolism of the hypercube because it is used in various um, applications that specifically address mind control. And it is a symbol 
of mind control, as we will see later on uh, on this in this program. Not this one, but programs that are coming up. So that's just to give people a brief outline. I'm thinking this will take up at least another uh, five to six weeks minimum, maybe longer. And again, not that this is going to become a show all about symbolism, but I think it's critically important to understand this and understand it well and spend time going into it in depth because it is used so pervasively in our culture that unless we become symbolically literate, uh, these things are going to continue and they're going to continue at a subconscious level and that means we are really have no defenses against them until we bring this knowledge up to the conscious level. So um, what we're ultimately moving toward is to get finished talking about all this, the negative stuff, okay? We want to turn and shift this show into a show about solutions to all of these problems. But in, in looking at subversive uh, symbolism, in looking at mind control um, methodologies, we are, we are doing something positive because knowledge is the beginning of helping to reverse our course as a people. We need the knowledge of how these techniques and tactics work. If we don't have that knowledge, we're powerless to defend ourselves against them. And that's why we're exposing these things here on this show. So let's look at, let's jump in and start looking at where we left off last week. And I direct people again to my website. Go on the website, go to the radio listen page, whatonearthishappening.com, and go to the um, uh, show links, uh, the, the um, show images for tonight's show, February 22nd, 2011. You will see links for the three types of symbolism I'm going to discuss here tonight. So if we go to the pentagram, we will see in image number one, this is an image that uh, I had people look at last week and we started to break it down. Um, a pentagram is a basic five-pointed star. It is used in different occult traditions. Specifically, the pentagram represents the four forces of nature and then combined with the fifth element, which is spirit. Okay, so we have the alchemical symbols there in red, the, at the red arm of the pentagram, the alchemical symbol for fire. Okay, the blue arm is the alchemical symbol for water. The green one, the alchemical symbol for earth. And then the yellow one, the alchemical symbol for air. And their associated colors. Then in white, representing purity and source, we see the symbol for spirit or ether, and there we have the dual-armed cross, the eight-pointed cross inside the circle, representing the fifth element, ether or spirit. And in, there are two configurations of the pentagram, which we are going to see this evening. The upright pentagram, which places the spirit in its proper position in its proper place raised up above the forces of nature the the, uh, the forces of matter the the the, um, the elements of matter I should say okay because this is the force that ultimately governs them all okay ultimately they all are derived from that source which is spirit and they are a manifestation of it therefore when occultists would draw this five-pointed star, they would place the top pointing upward, representing the prominence of the spirit. 
okay, raised up above and given elevation or given preference or importance. That's what it's signifying here, okay? An inverted pentagram does the opposite. It downplays the spirit. It puts the spirit on the bottom and it raises up above it the four elements of the material plane, the material world, earth, air, water, and fire. So that's a general pentagram there with the elements uh, attributed to it, to each arm. Now, of course, the pentagram is also connected with the planets, specifically the planet Venus. So being a star, it is connected with the stellar cults, as we've talked about when we talked about astrotheology on this program, the three cults of astrotheology being the solar cults, the lunar cults, and the stellar cults. The stellar cult, its symbol is star, okay? Because it's, it's about the stars and the planets and paying homage to these gods or goddesses, as the case may be. Venus has an orbit around the sun that when viewed from the earth traces a pentagram, traces a five-pointed star. So this star, five-pointed star shape, has traditionally been used in astrotheological circles to represent the goddess Venus, the planet Venus, okay? And in her goddess aspect, that is one of her names, Venus. This is also the goddess Diana, it's Semiramis, it's um, Mary, it's um, uh, Isis. You can go on and on, but the pentagram in this configuration has been used to represent uh, the goddess, okay? And that this, this kind of segues into what I'll be talking about next week when we look at goddess symbolism. So in image number two here, we have a, uh, a flag from a Muslim country, and it is a, a, a called the sovereign and divine, the star and the crescent moon. Again, we looked at how uh, Islam as a religion is astrotheologically based upon the moon and ancient goddess cults. When we uh, looked at religion as astrotheology. Uh, by the way, for you know possible new listeners, please go and visit the podcast section of the show uh, of the website. That's at uh, whatonearthishappening.com and click the podcast tabs. If you're new to the show, you can go back and listen to archives all the way back to uh, when we started almost a year ago. Okay, so the star is often used in connection with the idea of sovereignty, okay, which is self-ownership, dominion over one's own thoughts, emotions, and actions, true self-respect, true self-love, okay, uh, knowing that you are a free and sovereign being and living that way. Okay, understanding your own thoughts, your own emotions, your own actions, your own motivations, your own desires, and ruling them from within. Self-mastery. Being a being that as you think, so you feel, and so you act, and there is no contradiction between those three aspects of consciousness within you. Okay? So, non-dual consciousness. This is sovereignty. This is what the star is often used to represent, okay, which is the goal of 
all true occult philosophies, not ones that are subverted and uh, perverted and used as mechanisms of control, but all true wisdom, really, that is attempting to free people by helping them to raise their own consciousness to the point where they respect themselves and others, understand that they are one, understand that as one suffers, all suffer, and understand that they are indeed sovereign under the the creator and no one has a right to rule them externally as long as they are not harming other people and doing things which they do not have the natural law right to do. Okay? We're within our natural law rights. We exist as sovereign beings, and as such, no one else has authority over us. All claims of authority, again, are illusion. They are simply that, claims, and then people recognizing claims to which there is no foundational basis for. Because if I don't have the right to rule someone else and keep them as a slave, no one does. Okay? And that includes trying to combine forces and say, well, this group of people say that we're allowed to be rulers and we're going to enslave you. And that's called government. That's called coming together and constituting what's known as a government, which is basically saying all of our non-existent authority is going to be combined and now we're going to create authority out of something that really doesn't exist and then exercise it when we don't have the right to do so. But, you know, that's the end of the spiritual uh, understanding, the spiritual journey, so to speak. Not many people are really there. We'll be talking about true uh, cooperative spiritual anarchy as the ultimate goal of spirituality, really, of, of the, the evolution of consciousness on this planet. That's what it's all ultimately about. But very few people are of a high enough level of consciousness to even comprehend that idea. Sadly, my point here is in this image that the star represents that awareness, that knowledge, that wisdom, that level of consciousness, okay? It represents true sovereignty. And therefore, controllers, profiteers, advertisers, they're going to want to use this symbol as much as possible. That's why the star is used continuously. They know, they know that deep in the subconscious mind, the subconscious itself knows what this symbol ultimately represents. It has been used to represent that in human civilization for thousands of years. And therefore, they're going to take advantage of that. So, you know, we see in the next three images how it's used. And these are just small examples. We can go on and on and spend days looking at where star symbolism is used in, uh, in, in advertising, but we see it in the next three images, three through five, in some advertising logos. So star ATMs. Again, we have stellar cult symbolism. The name of the ATM uh, machine, uh, money, currency, distributor here, okay, is star, right in the name. Then it has the Saturnian swoosh representing a partial ring as we talked about when we looked at Saturnian astrotheological symbolism previously okay and then 
we have a star pointed upward. In the next image, Starbucks coffee, the Starbucks logo, again, the name Star, Starbucks, okay, with the goddess depicted there, okay, three stars in the logo, the crown on her head because she is the queen of the heavens, the crescent moon can be seen if you look at the, uh, the sub-circle, which just contains her, if you look at the other circle, you know, the inward circle, and just then remove the circle that contains just the goddess and her hair and body, you can see that it's actually a crescent moon. So we have star and moon symbolism here in corporate logos. On image number five, the Texaco logo, this is actually a complex symbol because we have the circle, we have the star inside of it, again, representing sovereignty, which, of course, you're going to go get at the gas station, right? They're always selling you something you don't have. You'll get it at the ATM, you'll get it at the Starbucks, you'll get it at the gas station, right? But don't look within for that. You know, heaven forbid you do that. Um, this, I say, is a complex symbol because there is also symbolism uh, of the Tau cross in here. And people will say, oh, yeah, that's just the letter T. Uh, that is an ancient archetypal symbol. It's a hammer. It's a symbol of authority. Okay? That's what the Tau is, the, the capital T. And it is situated at the top of a pyramid there. If we look at the reverse in, in red, that is where the T rests on top of a mound. This connects with ancient archetypal symbolism of the primordial mound. And it is also a symbol of authority and a symbol of divinity. Okay? So, all of these things combine in this to make this a powerful symbol when it is just viewed by the subconscious. Also, the use of the color red in there. Okay, connected with uh, needs and wants. You'll often see red used in uh, things to instill desire or simple longing or wanting. Okay? In image number six, we see the logos of the two parties here in the United States, the two parties that really ultimately form one party, which is globalist fascism and uh, socialism, uh, all two sides of the same coin. We see the uh, elephant, which represents the Republican Party, and then we have the stars right on there, the three stars, and they have chosen to place them with the uh, point downward in, in an inverted sense. And we'll be getting to that in a moment. Um, on the right there, you see the... Uh, the donkey, which is used to represent the Democrats, and that has four upward-pointing stars there in the top half in blue. Stars often used in conjunction with a blue field, as on the American flag, of course, uh, which is supposed to represent the sky. Of course, you know, astrotheological symbolism, it's all about the gods in the sky. And um, again, connected with the idea of sovereignty which is what the stars are supposed to represent on the U.S. flag. Again, sovereign states. However, um, here we see them used selling the idea of sovereignty through uh, identifying yourself as part of a party, uh, uh, a political party. 
So let's look at some deeper aspects of the pentagram from an occult perspective, all right? In image number seven and eight, we will see and look at other examples of the pentagram and uh, how they are drawn in certain occult traditions. Now, the image number seven is often used in uh, Wicca or in um, other magical um, traditions. And it is an upright pentagram, which is often called a pentacle, okay? A five-pointed star placed upright, and you see the words Adam and Eve written in the, um, in the uh, inner circle of the pentagram. And you see a being with his, uh, his slash her body with the feet at two points of the pentacle, the hands at the other two points, and then the head at the, the fifth point. So the pentacle is tracing the outline of a human body. Around the outside of the, uh, the inner pentacle, okay, there is another circle, and in between the two circles we see Hebrew characters, Hebrew letters. Where it starts, okay, is at the right foot, okay? Now, that's if you're looking at it. If you were the person, it would be their left foot. So it's that small little character at the bottom there on the right of the image. And that's called Yod, okay? That's the Hebrew character Yod. If we then go to the right and up, we will see the Hebrew character um, uh, I'm sorry, if we then go to the, um, yes, we will see the Hebrew character, hey, okay, and I'm, I'm incorrect about the, no, that is the correct order, so we're going up and to the, and to the um, right, okay, so it would be the, le the right hand, if you're looking at it, and it would be the person's left hand, okay, that is the Hebrew character, hey, then at the top of the head, we see another Hebrew character, and that is the Hebrew character Shin. Then we're going to the left now in the image, and it would be the right hand of the person, okay? If you were, that, if you were the, placing yourself as the person, that's the Hebrew character Vav. And then we go down to the left-hand side bottom, okay, which would be at the right foot of the person, if you're placing yourself as the person on the, the pentacle, and that's Hey again. So we actually get a Hebrew word there, which is yod Hey shin vav Hey, And this is derived from yod Hey vav Hey, which we talked about before when we looked at the Kabbalistic tradition and the Tarot tradition, okay? yod Hey vav Hey is the Tetragrammaton. It is the four-letter name of God in Hebrew. It is, if we transliterated it into English, it would be, Yahweh, Y-H-V-H, -H. or that could be also pronounced as Jehovah, Yehovah, or Jehovah. These are two names that we transliterate out of Hebrew to get words in English, okay, based on the sounds of the letters in Hebrew. But if we place that Shin character in the middle to get yod Hey shin vav Hey, Shin is the character in Hebrew which means light, light. And it's placed 
at the head of the person because in this configuration with the fifth point pointed upward, okay, the person has received light. They have become illuminated. They have become enlightened because they have placed the spirit in its proper orientation ruling above the four physical elements, earth, air, water, and fire, represented by the other letters there, okay? And spirit rules their consciousness and their demeanor and their understanding. Okay, this is a person who has wisdom, and they are putting the letters for Adam and Eve, the names for Adam and Eve, in this configuration to represent the chemical wedding, which we talked about as being the coming together of the left and right brain hemispheres. Okay, so Adam would represent the left brain and Eve would represent the right brain, the sacred masculine coming together with the sacred feminine. And therefore, these two have combined in this image. So we're not looking at a male on this star. We're not looking at a female on the star. We're looking at a combination of the two because we're not really talking about the body. We're talking about the inward qualities of consciousness, and that's what this is a symbol of. Okay, so this is a powerful, positive symbol, actually. Okay? This is showing that when the male, the masculine and feminine forces within us come together, our emotions and our actions, we unite them, through principle, through wisdom, because we have light represented by that shin character at the top, and it is the primary focal point for our actions, and it is the primary guiding force for our actions in life, okay? Then we have become like the divine operating in the physical world not saying that this being is God or anything like that, saying it is embodying the divine. Okay? It is aspiring to be like the divine. And it is acting in that way. Right? It is... It is basically ruling one's own aspects of consciousness. A being in this condition rules over, okay, has dominion of their own thoughts, their own emotions, and their own actions. And they're not in conflict. They're unified. As they think, so they feel, so they act. Okay, so, powerful unity symbolism here in the upward-pointing pentagram and from those characters, okay, from yod heh vav hey, we then put the Shin character in the middle, right, representing balance, and what does it then spell? It then spells yod heh shin vav hey, which is Yeshua, or the name of Jesus in Hebrew. Some would pronounce that Yehoshua or uh, Joshua, Okay? but it's essentially the name that is given to Jesus. And that is 
you know, placing the light character in the middle of the Tetragrammaton, the four-letter name for God or Yahweh or Jehovah, and then putting that fifth element right in the middle, representing light. So it's the light of the Creator coming down and inhabiting the body of man. Okay? Powerful symbolism if it is understood. And indeed, that is what the um, the uh, man, Jesus, represents in the original esoteric Christian tradition. Whether it is an actual historical character, a historical personage, or not. That is the whole idea behind the true teachings that are um, come down to us as Christianity, the original teachings of that religion. And again, in the modern world, it comes down to us as astrotheology, and the main points are being missed about what uh, the ultimate deep esoteric teachings about the human spirit are as part of that the original tradition of Christianity. And I think that needs to be rediscovered. Sadly, religion isn't helping anyone to do that. Let's move to the next image, image number eight, and this is dark occultism now. Now we're looking at the inverted pentagram. Okay, so this is a satanic or a dark Luciferian pentagram, not a pentacle, and and its inverted configuration is most uh, traditionally referred to as simply an inverted pentagram. Okay, so we see now that it is pointed downward, representing the downplaying of the spirit, okay, representing thrusting the spirit downward into the ground or into the grave and uplifting the material world, uplifting materialism, uplifting the, um, uh, the four physical material elements of earth, air, water, and fire represented by the other four points of the pentagram. Inside the inverted pentagram, we see a goat's head. And this is a depiction of the god Baphomet. Now, Baphomet is also a dual symbol. It can represent, again, the chemical wedding, the coming together of the male and female because it is hermaphroditic. And in a dark way, it can also represent pure will, divorced from the sacred feminine. And it can represent pure materialism raised above spirituality. And that is what it represents in this configuration in an inverted pentagram. It does not represent the chemical wedding when it is used like this. Okay? We see the two um, names, Samael and Lilith. Okay? These are the two out-of-balance hemispheres. The two out-of-balance aspects of consciousness, the masculine aspect of consciousness gone awry, okay? And the feminine aspect of consciousness gone awry. So Samael would be the left brain out of control. In other words, going into a dominator modality, control, okay? 
too much pure logic without compassion. Knowledge without wisdom. All of these things represented by the out-of-control left brain hemisphere, which would be represented by Samael, a demonic uh, name which is used to represent this left hemispherical imbalance. The right hemispherical imbalance, Lilith, okay? This is the dark goddess, okay? This is the right hemisphere gone out of control, okay? Desires overwhelming oneself, okay? Addiction. It could be self-loathing. It could be, um, you know, uh, not having self-respect. But ultimately, it's the right brain in a state of severe imbalance. And, you know, this is depicted in different traditions in different ways. You can all, you will often see a dark goddess, uh, a haggard woman, a, um, a, a witch type, um, you can often, uh, you'll often see it as like Medusa is an, is an image of this, uh, an extremely dark goddess figure. Okay. Um, let's see. Um, in Alice in Wonderland, you know, it's a good allegory about the dark goddess principle. You'll see this as the, the, uh, the red queen. Okay. Um, it's depicted in many different ways symbolically and allegorically all right but it's the sacred feminine force gone completely out of balance okay which is the right hemisphere living too much in the right hemisphere and being overwhelmed by emotions being ruled by the emotions not ruling your emotions but letting them rule you thinking from the emotions which can be extremely dangerous because that will lead to cognitive dissonant states where we can see something that we can logically prove is true, but we still don't want to acknowledge it because of the emotional impact that it will have upon our psyche, and therefore we just decide to, uh, you know, refuse to accept its existence. This is right brain out of balanced thinking. Another way that this comes up, uh, this form of right brain imbalance, can be... Um, the idea, and uh, my, my friend uh, Daryl just recently sent me a good blog post on this, which was about how people will not acknowledge information if they don't like the format that it's put in, whether it's true or not. They say, I don't want to hear that because I don't like the way you said it. You know, you, I perceive you have an attitude or you have, you know, some kind of an ego, but I won't look at your information because it doesn't make me feel good how you said it. I would rather feel good rather than be given information regardless, you know, of whether it's true or not. I don't want to look and do the work to decide whether what was said is true and pay attention to what was said, okay? I, I get this all the time, ladies and gentlemen. You know, people will say, well, sometimes you get angry or upset or overly emotional, and therefore uh, what you're saying has less validity. No, it doesn't. See, myself, I can listen to someone dressed in a clown outfit, you know, um, that's uh, juggling and, uh, you know, looks like the craziest person you could ever imagine. And if they're speaking wisdom, I'll hear the wisdom that they're speaking. 
now maybe that's just me, and it probably is, but my point here is an out-of-control emotional aspect or right brain hemisphere will make someone simply want to feel information instead of really reasoning information, okay? Really deciding whether it is true. Okay, this is a function of a holistically functioning brain, being able to gauge information based on whether it is true or not. Delving into it, finding out whether it's true. Reserving emotional judgment in order to get at the truth. If your right brain is completely out of control, it's often impossible to do that. And that would be the Lilith principle at work. Okay, so the Samael and Lilith, this is the unholy uh, marriage, you could say. Okay? And if we want further confirmation about what God, this symbol represents, we have it in the form of the name around the outside. Now again, around the outside of the upward pointing pentacle, which was crowned by light, the light character Shin, in the former example in image number seven, we saw the name of God and Jesus depicted in the image. Okay? And again, the, this is not in the in the exoteric Christian tradition, okay? This is, in, this is down to the esoteric roots of that religion, okay? Which is why it is occulted and used in symbols such as this. We're not talking about, you know, uh, the ways that they use those in modern religion. It's, it's altogether different qualities that it's representing, you know? Um, the, the tetragrammaton represents the all, okay? It represents the source. It represents the divine guidance that we can all get into touch with. The Jesus name represents following the light, okay? It represents being sovereign, understanding one's divinity, okay? Understanding that we are sovereign under the creator, and acting, living that way. That's what that represents. It's symbolic. It's, this is not about anthropomorphized gods, okay? And their actual physical so-called sons living on the earth. That's not what it's about. This is all, again, astrotheological uh, principles that are brought down through ancient astrotheology cults into the modern world as religion. What we're talking about here is the esoteric, going deep into the symbol, understanding what it means, what it represents symbolically, that name, those names, okay? So now on the inverted pentagram, we see the inverse of that principle, and we start at the right-hand side at the bottom. I'm sorry, scratch that. We start at the very bottom of the pentagram for the name here. Okay, and that is the character Lamed, which is basically L in Hebrew. We're at the bottom point of the pentagram is where the name starts, and then it, Hebrew goes left to right, so we're going counterclockwise. Okay, so we start at the, the base, which is the downward point, again representing spirit thrust downward into the ground or buried above the weight of the physical world. And that is the character Lamed, L. Okay, then we go to, to the right, okay, bottom point, 
and that is the character Vav. So that's a V. So we have LV. Okay? Then up to the top right point, and that's the that small character again that looks like an apostrophe, that's a Yod. Okay? So that's like a Y. So we have LVY. Okay? Then we go to the top left point, okay, near near where the uh, A and M in Samael is at, right? And that's the Hebrew character uh, Tav. Okay? So that is a T in Hebrew. So we have L-V-Y-T. And then we go down to the bottom left point, okay, where we have that long character, and that is the Hebrew character Nun. It's the final Nun. Okay? And that represents N. That transliterates to N. So we have, have L-V-Y-T-N. Leviathan. Leviathan. The Leviathan is a demon that is spoken about as being the beast. Okay? This is the consciousness that is completely uncontrolled by oneself. This is the out-of-control left and right brain. This is the dissolution of the chemical wedding. All right? This is someone who does not rule themselves. They're not in dominion. The material world rules them because their spirit is buried under it, under its weight. You, you see the symbolism here? If you can follow this through and you can understand what it's, it represents symbolically, you understand what the symbol is saying. Okay? All, all of these ideas, you know, you'd have to try, try to transcribe everything that was said about these two symbols, but look at how simple it is to just put two symbols down on paper. And all of these ideas are put right there into it. But it's predicated upon understanding the building blocks of the symbol. And once you get more familiar with symbolism, you can read it. Because you can say, I understand what that represents in conjunction with this, in conjunction with this, and then it becomes very clear what it's saying symbolically and why the people chose certain images. All right, so the inverted pentagram, ultimately it represents being not sovereign, okay, being controlled, being a controller, being out of control within ruled by the material world, the spirit in a state of destitution or being dead, essentially. Okay? Will without wisdom, intelligence without wisdom, all of these things. That's what the inverted pentagram ultimately represents symbolically. Okay? And it's the breakdown of the balance that truly creates the chemical wedding. So it is an out-of-control left brain and an out-of-control right brain. All very appropriate to the symbol because that's what happens when we take spirit out of the equation. All right? So we see another variant on this inverted pentagram in image number nine. And this one is one that I know very much because I was involved in the organization that uses this symbol. This is the official sigil of the Church of Satan. So there they use the 
same inverted pentagram with the same letters, but they do not place the names Samael and Lilith upon it. And this is the Baphomet that was actually um, uh, used as the official emblem of the Church of Satan by Anton LaVey, who was the high priest of the Church of Satan from 1966 until he died in 1997. Um, and that is a stylized rendition of um, the inverted pentagram with the goat's head in the middle of it. Okay, let's look at how this is used in the world. And we're going to look at three examples of inverted pentagrams. Now, if we look at image number 10 here, it is chock full of symbolism. Okay? This is the Medal of Valor. Okay? And this is given to military and um, other uh, military and police essentially can receive this uh, medal uh, for meritorious service. And we see that it has goddess symbolism on it, which we would initially perceive as the Statue of Liberty, but it, that's another representation of the goddess. We'll look at that next week if we uh, get through all of the symbols this week. We're coming up to the top of the uh, second hour. I'm going to give the call-in numbers again. And uh, we're going to be going until 10.30 tonight because we've got a late start, uh, some confusion on the network end. Uh, so we'll be going until 10.30 this evening. All right. Um, the call-in numbers, once again, 724-444-7444. The call ID, 83515. We're going through symbolism of the pentagram on whatonearthishappening.com in the radio listen, listen section. Okay? Um, you'll see the images listed there. We're on image number 10 in the pentagram section, the Medal of Valor. And we see the inverted pentagram down at the bottom, which the main metal is made of. We see the um, um, star field above that inside of an octagon. Now, the octagon is connected with the image of the hypercube, the symbolism of the hypercube, which we won't be getting to for a while, but I'll just put that, uh, throw that in that that is hypercube symbolism up above it, and hypercube symbolism in general represents mind control, being controlled when you don't really know you're even being controlled. That's what the image of a hypercube represents. Someone who is under mind control, the octagon. Someone who is completely out of balance and is willing to do things for other people whose intentions they know nothing, little to nothing of. And that is who this medal is given to. See, because they're giving metal, they're giving strength. It's valor. Valor means strength. See, they're giving that to somebody. They're giving them something that they lack spiritually. That's what this medal is a substitute for. It's given in place of it. And I know military people will be loath to hear this, understanding that they've been handed something that's satanic. This is a satanic symbol. The goddess is placed in the middle of the inverted pentagram. This is an, another symbol representing the death of care. And often the people who were given this had to prove that they killed their care to get it. 
to go off into war to murder other people. Okay? And get as offended about it as you like. And there's the tagline again. I'm going to have to make t-shirts with that on it. Okay? Because the whole point here is, once again, I'm not here to be anybody's friend or to make you feel good. I'm here to tell you the truth about what's really going on in the world. That's it. And that's all I'm here to do. And I don't care what happens to me as a result of doing it. Because I don't care about my life. I've given up my life to do this. Because I understand that if we don't get this information and message out, we're all going to be slaves forever. And there's not going to be any opportunity to grow spiritually. At least not here. So, get all nuts about it. Get it out of your system. And, and then grow up and be a big boy. Okay? So, sorry to say it that way, but hey, let's just cut right to the chase and not, not uh, pull any punches. You know, if you're totally uh, on the other side and you know where you stand as far as evil goes, then be on that side and wonderful. And I'm going to continue to do what I'm doing as long as I'm in the flesh. Okay? So continuing to break down that symbol, we also have a, a, a trapezoid behind the pentagram in the way that the the metal of uh, the... Um, ribbon that the metal is attached to is folded. Okay, now this is also a satanic symbol. And if you actually look into organized Satanism, similar to the Church of Satan's brand of Satanism, the trapezoid is one of the main shapes, if not the main shape or the main symbol of that religion. And there's a reason for that. The trapezoid is a pyramid with the capstone missing. And they d dismissed the capstone for a very specific reason, which I'm going to talk about when we get into the pyramid at all-seeing eye symbolism. Okay? So there is satanic symbolism all over this figure. If you look at this configuration of the star field as well, it ultimately represents three chevron shapes. Okay? These are male symbols. If we connect the configuration of scars, okay? There are three upward-pointing blades. This represents the male aspect, tripled, okay? There's no feminine aspect in that, in that symbol, the way these stars are configured. You could also tend to rearrange if you put a final star at the bottom of that shape, okay? you could see that it could also represent two interlocked squares, which is also hypercube symbolism. Okay, that's a little bit more complex. And again, we haven't gone into the hypercube yet, but all of this symbolism is teamed up on this metal. And again, the goddess is placed in the middle of the inverted pentagram, representing that care has been destroyed. Because that's what that the goddess really represents. That's what the upright pentacle represents. So they're, they're, again, this is like a total occult mockery. It's an occult mockery of the goddess, and it's, the, it's an occult mockery of the person that this is being handed to, saying, thank you for doing our bidding for us, slave. Thank you for doing our bidding for us, mind-controlled slave. That's what it is. And the people who receive this think it's something so wonderful, and they 
can't even understand what's being said to them because it's being said in a symbolic language, which if you don't understand what that language represents, you're going to think, oh, great, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm being rewarded here. You're being mocked is what's happening. And you're being mocked by Satanists who are ultimately running these institutions, handing you something with hypercube symbolism, trapezoidal symbolism, which is ultimately rooted in Satanism, and inverted pentagram symbolism with the goddess right in the middle of the inverted pentagram, representing the destruction of one's feminine qualities and care. All combined in one image, in one emblem, which is a talisman. Again, it's pinned on someone. Image number 11 is the emblem for the order of the Eastern Star. Okay, and again, we see the four material elements, and then they're raised above the fifth element. Now, I'm not going to say that the Eastern Star is anything that is like pure evil or anything like that. I completely disagree with a couple of things about the Eastern Star. Okay? While I would say I would espouse the true teachings of Freemasonry if one really deeply understands the allegorical tradition and what it's saying through its symbols, there are things about the Eastern Stars logo I don't like. Now, you, you'll see you know, the, the book of sacred, the sacred volume of law representing the Bible there laid out, okay? And then you have the, the four physical elements again, and the, you have the fifth one pointed down. I don't understand why they would do that if they're truly trying to espouse the tenets of Freemasonry. Okay, Again, this comes down to us in the modern world in this women's order that's a, a Masonic affiliate order. Another thing I highly disagree about that order in general is why is it segregated? Why are you separating male and female? And Masons will go on and on about why this is done and how well you have to respect tradition and it's a good idea to keep men and women separated so that they don't, you know, uh, aren't distracted by sexual concerns or, you know, other petty concerns when they're in the lodge. And I, I would say all of that is nonsense. You're saying that this order is only for men and this order is only for women. And that's symbolically segregating the left and right brain by keeping people apart. Maybe, maybe there are women who would bring incredible insight into the lodge system if it were not segregated like that. This is an example where an institution is cutting off its nose to spite its face just to keep in line with so-called tradition. And it's another reason why I refuse to be involved in an official capacity with modern Freemasonry. One, I know it's been polluted and turned into an old boys club and has been infiltrated by institutions that are totally bent on control. And two, um, they, they continue to employ ridiculous nonsense like segregation of the sexes. And there's other reasons as well. Okay, I take no oaths to any worldly institutions. I take an oath only to the truth herself. That's it. That is who I serve in this world. I don't serve an earthly institution of any kind, ever. Okay? So, um, while I will work with some true Freemasons who 
really do understand the tenets of Freemasonry, and I'm friends with such people and who are really trying to spread the ideas of natural law and true um, you know, concern for others and true compassion and true sovereignty and true self-knowledge. I'm not going to take any oath to any worldly institution. And I understand they'll say, oh, that's even symbolic. Well, there are people working through institutions like this that are perverting its true ideals. And therefore, I think that just as an institutional body that's based on hierarchical structure, it, it, it ultimately is something that is fallen. It, it, is, it is fallen. And people like, Masons like Church Ward warned us about that. I highly recommend reading the book Origins of Freemasonry by Albert Churchward, and he told us what would happen if the trend that he saw in his day would continue into the modern age, and it has. It has. He said what the Masonic institution was going to become, and I would agree that it has become that to a large extent. And I'm not saying that from just opinion either. I'm saying that because I know what goes on inside some of the lodge systems that are that are operating and it's not entirely good <laughs> it's as a matter of fact some of it's pretty bad because people who understand what this knowledge is about who go to it and have been accepted into it often without many prerequisites just because they can contribute dues see that's where money destroys everything Okay, they open up their doors, something that, that was once truly esoteric and reserved for people who really wanted to understand this. They open it up because we have to take people in, we need money to continue operating, and then they're taking people in who this is their worldview. Money is their entire you know, system of values. And then they bring in their friends, and you can see where the trend leads from there. And... The Eastern Star is a similar example. This word fatal around this penta, uh, the pentagon in the middle of the symbol means fairest among thousands, altogether lovely, F-A-T-A-L. And what that represents is the star Venus. Okay? And perhaps that is why they invert it, because Venus's configuration when viewed from Earth does resemble an inverted star. Okay? It's orbit. And again, this is... It's goddess symbolism. That's why it's used in conjunction with the feminine order of Freemasonry, the female order, the order of the eastern star, the rising sun. Okay? I just think that it's still something that should have been greatly considered when coming up with an emblem for your organization that you're using something that has traditionally been used to represent dark occultism. I don't believe that's what the eastern star truly represents down at its foundation at its deep principles it is teaching what true freemasonry is trying to teach but it's uh it's a poor choice for a symbol when you understand the deeper esoteric connotations of what the inverted pentagram represents moving on to image number 12 in this section we have the victoria police emblem uphold the rights and here we have a plethora of symbols, okay? We have the, the, uh, um, the, the bundled wheat, okay, coming up on the left and right sides, holding the inverted pentagram in its arms. 
Then they, it comes together to form the crown. Okay, we have the symbol of uh, the, the um, equal armed cross above the crown. We have the symbol of the equal armed cross in the middle of the pentagram. Okay, Victoria is another goddess-connected name. Okay, and uphold the right. What does that mean? Are they upholding the right of the people? Well, I would say absolutely not. They're upholding the divine right to rule because the crown, and they, they claim to serve the queen, okay? The crown represents the queen, the queen of England, all right? Victoria being in Australia and that being a um, police force that is basically under the jurisdiction of the queen as a province, the equal armed cross with the five stars, upward pointed stars, again connected with the goddess principle, and I would say the dark aspect of the goddess used here, and the inverted pentagram in the in the the uh, behind the Victoria Police uh, circle there, again thrusting the spirit downward into the ground, saying, "Uphold the right of the queen, the divine right to rule." And it's being upheld by the material elements. See, the, the queen's crown is between the two upward pointing, the two upward pointing points. Okay, and then the the uh, sash there is held by the other two. And all four of those put the fifth element into the ground, bury it. Pure subversive symbolism, again, used in conjunction with police. You see how it is actually used in the Victoria Police. In the next image, number 13, showing what looks to be a captain's hat, police hat. And there you see that emblem as a badge placed on the forehead, right in front of the third eye chakra. The Ajna Chakra, which we talked about representing the coming together of the left and right brain and the awakening of the pineal gland. And there you see it. Right in front of the third eye chakra is where that would end up when the person puts that hat on its head. And not only that, but it's combined. In other words, they're telling you this is a person whose brain is out of balance. They're serving our agenda they're upholding our so-called divine right to rule, the British crown, okay? And they're using astrotheological symbolism connected with the, the, uh, the, the, the badge there. They're using inverted pentagram symbolism, which is purely overtly satanic to anyone with a trained eye, okay? And they're putting it on the third eye chakra, in conjunction with the checkerboard floor band, okay, the checkerboard band, which is a representation of the floor of the house. It's called the floor of the Temple of Solomon. Okay, this is lower consciousness. This is the R-complex. This is the out-of-balance brain that closes consciousness down and does not allow one to see whether they are in light or in darkness. That's why it uses the, the alternating black and white squares representing 
one's checkered life and checkered decisions. It's a play on words in addition to being a symbol. You lead a checkered life. You, you don't have wisdom. You don't understand anything. You know. You don't know whether you're, you're uh, going in the right direction or the wrong direction. You're completely confused. You don't know whether you're going in the direction of light or darkness. And that's what that symbol represents. And that's why it's called the floor of the house, the checkerboard floor of the house. It represents base consciousness, lower awareness, not understanding sovereignty, not being a united person, being dual, being dual with yourself because you're not a person that as they think, so they feel, so they act. You could be made to do anything. You could be made to manipulate it to do someone else's bidding. It's a symbol of mind control. And they're wrapping it around their brain. They're wrapping it around the brain of the policeman. And then on the third eye, which is the prefrontal cortex, that, that is at the same level as the pineal gland, right on the third eye, chakra, the Ajna chakra, they're placing an inverted pentagram with a queen's crown over top of it. Okay, that's not subversive symbolism, though. And for the police here in the United States who say, oh, well, we don't wear anything like that. Well, you wear an, an octagon on top of your crown chakra, which represents the hypercube, which represents mind control. And right on top of the crown chakra, they're putting that, which is the highest level chakra awakening the true cosmic awareness, and they're putting a black octagon on top of that chakra so it closes that form of consciousness down to you, symbolically. And you're being mocked symbolically in that way. Police symbolism is chock full of dark occultic symbols. Chock full of it, as is military symbolism. This is what I'm going to talk about at the Free Your Mind conference. And I'm going to go in depth in it and explain to people how they're completely being occultically mocked and they don't even know it they're, because they're unread. They're unread people. Police are unread people in general. And even those who are read don't read the right things to really understand much of anything at all. And I'll tell them that to their face. It's sad. It's sad. Dumb people are being completely mocked to their face because this is like someone coming up and speaking French to someone who never studied a word of French in their life and telling them how much they hate them, they loathe them, they think they're an idiot, they're a moron, they're stupid. They, they would just completely, you know, wipe their feet on their face. Okay? That's basically what they're saying. And you can imagine what else they would say to them, okay? And yet the person would have absolutely no idea what was being said. They could even say it in a nice, sweet, pleasant voice, but they would be completely mocking them to their face. And that's what they're doing with this symbolism. And yet the other person, not versed in that language, has no idea what's being said. Yet they continue to do their bidding for a paycheck because that's their God. Money is their God. I'm just doing my job. Uh, no, you're doing things that are completely in contravention to natural law, which you have no right to do for a paycheck because that's your God. That, that, that's my response to, quote, it's only a job. It's just my job. Yeah, well, 
put what the Nazis did and what the Schutzstaffel and the SS and uh, all the other Nazis in World War II were doing was just their job at the time. But because money and power was their god, they went along with this uh, sick, depraved agenda, just like the cops are doing here. 98% of them anyway. Image number 14, I won't break this entirely down today. I'll do this at a later time. But this is the uh, Fraternal Order of Police's emblem. And this is a sigil, an outright sigil. It has tons of symbolism all over it. It's got a five-pointed star, okay, a, a basic pentagram. And while it is right side up, there is something else in here that is completely upside down, which, which if you write that, you need to invert the pentagram. Or if you keep that upside down, the pentagram stays right side up, which is it's contradictory symbolism, and it's done deliberately. Okay, And this is a satanic talisman right here, because tons of people carry this all the time. You see tons of people with stickers with this all over their cars in the United States that have no idea what this symbol represents and how truly subversive against consciousness it is. Okay, You see... I can't truly break this down tonight because we need the understanding of Masonic symbolism to really understand it. I wanted to put it in here simply to help people to understand it's pentagonal symbolism, symbolism of the pentagram used in conjunction with the police. Uh, FOP stands for Fraternal Order of Police. You have the all-seeing eye there in the bottom left. You have a Masonic handshake there in the lower right. You have the Temple of Solomon symbolically depicted on the shield. You have the two pillars of duality raised up above the pillar of unity. And the pillar of unity at the bottom thrust downward, which represents spirit and uh, non-dual consciousness. Okay, And you have the checkerboard floor of the house raised above that and actually uh, acting as a buffer between those two things. So this is extreme subversive Masonic symbolism. I would call this dark Masonic symbolism. Okay? Symbolism of dark masonry, which ultimately is what the orders of the police are all about. Police being taken into Masonic orders are and and their behavior advocated, okay, is not being done to try to uh, really help these people be better police. It is, being, it is being done because dark masons are actually putting them under their form of subversive control so that they continue to do their bidding. And there, there is no... Look, a, a true mason, okay, would never advocate such a thing as police in the first place. A true Freemason, one who really understands... The, the embodiment of natural law contained in Freemasonry, would understand you even creating an institution like that is failure in consciousness. It's failure. Because you're trying to put out a fire with more gasoline. You're saying, we're going to use force to, to undo something that is already caused by people subverting natural law instead of actually teaching them the principles of natural law from the moment they're born. The whole idea that control is the answer. Oh, we have more crime? Well, we need more police. We have more crime? We need more control. 
We have more people doing things that are completely out of hand than against people's natural law rights. Well, we need more international law-making bodies and institutions to come together and try to create more um, oppressive laws to try to uh, put that behavior down. You'll never put it down that way. You're going to get more and more chaos. As we explained, if you want to go back to, to uh, show, I believe it was show number uh, 36 on natural law, you can go back and listen to that one again, the presentation I did on natural law. I mean, people who advocate even starting institutions based on control such as government or police do not understand how natural law functions. They don't get it. They don't understand you keep responding with control, okay? You're going to create more chaos. You'll never allay that chaos. You will never put quell that chaos. You, you have to add the principle of love and understanding in order to quell that chaos. Now, I am not saying if someone who is completely out of control and does not understand natural law is coming to try to take your freedom, that you sit there and just say, I'm only ever going to respond with uh, you know, kindness. There is a time to actually take physical action to put down rebellion against natural law like that. And this is another thing people will refuse that there is uh, such a thing as. You know, the New Age movement will try to tell you uh, there's never any time to use force. And that's nonsense. That's absolute nonsense. There is certainly a time to use force. If there wasn't, the ability to use it wouldn't exist. And unfortunately... You know, there's continuing encroachments into human freedom and, and natural law rights happening right here in the United States and in just about every country in the world. And we're seeing people start to push back against it in other countries. I wish the United States was a quarter as awake as some of these other countries that are, that are refusing to, to live under these dictatorships. But see, you know, you can get into a whole other discussion about that. Is it... Uh, is it an orchestration as well to try to put create chaos and then uh, manage the uh, the aftermath of that chaos? You know, by putting in somebody that will play ball with you. You know, so we have to be careful about how much manipulation behind the scenes is going on in these uh, movements in the Middle East and in Northern Africa right now. But that's another discussion. That's go, to go back to the point I was talking about with police, all of this is completely subversive against natural law. It's being used talismanically, okay, which basically means in forms that are carried, badges, symbols, emblems on cars, uh, emblems on stickers, okay, to put an idea into the subconscious mind that police are connected with divinity, because there's the all-seeing eye on their, on their logo. They're connected with partnership, a handshake. They're connected with sovereignty, the star. And they're connected with none of these things. Th this institution is about controlling people. And they're, they're about controlling people because they act as a, an insulating buffer between the people who are kept down at low levels of consciousness and, and at low levels of being able to even have access to resources that they need for living, okay, and, and, and at low levels of 
being able to engage in their natural law rights that they inherently possess, they're acting as a buffer between that gigantic mass of people that are basically kept suppressed like that in consciousness and in rights, and the elite class of people who are actually their owners and rulers. And these elitists, and I wor I've worked with some of these dark occultists, they call these police, they call these military who do their bidding and who they completely occultically and ritually mock through their, mock through their symbols, they call them our dogs, our pets. That's what their name for them is. And once again, bang your fists against the desk, bang your head against the wall, do whatever you like, but that's the, that's the truth. That's the case. That is what they call you, your owners, whoever's listening out there that's involved in a control-based institution or if somebody gave you one of these podcasts, get as crazy and nuts about it as you like. I'm telling you, and I would tell you to your face if I saw you in person, okay? Your owners, and you have owners, call you their dogs, okay? That's what they call you. That's their name for you. And you think you're a man. You think you're a real man. You think you're a tough guy. You, you, you'll, you'll beat on people and taser them and, you know, kill them. And that makes you feel like you're a tough guy because you are completely controlled by other people who have more power and influence than you because they've convinced another group of morons that, to believe in something called money and to treat it as true value. And therefore, they have all of this influence and all of this control over other people based on something that doesn't exist, and they own you as a result of that. And then you do whatever they tell you to do, regardless of whether you have the right to do it or not. And in return, you'll get these little trinkets where they're basically calling you our dog and mocking you symbolically and telling you you're a brain-dead idiot, and you can't even comprehend what they're saying to you because you're an unread person. Have I summed it up? And, you know, hey, that's vitriolic. I get it. I get it. It's not pleasant to hear. I don't sugarcoat it. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I don't care what you think of it. I could care less. You know why? Because it's true. And it doesn't matter how the truth is spoken. This is mind control. Right brain mind control is... I care whether that person has a crazy-looking sweater on while he's speaking words of wisdom. I care whether that person has an accent when he's speaking words of wisdom. I care whether that person has a beautiful haircut and a wonderful $3,000 three-piece suit when he's speaking pure deception and vile evil. That's all mind control. All that matters is whether what's being said is true or not. None of the other stuff matters. That's all just how we perceive something. And perception is not truth and not reality. They want you to think that it is. And that's called solipsism. There's no such thing as actual truth. There's only what I think of as truth. And what that person thinks of as true is equally as true. And this is nonsense. We talked about what truth actually is. And it's, it's wave functions that actually collapse down into point particles that form the present moment. The truth is that which had existed in the past as present moments and which does exist in the present right now. Events that actually occurred. 
the future doesn't exist yet because the, the conditions and the choices that create the future haven't arrived yet. They exist in future present moments, which, which don't exist right now. They exist as wave functions of possibility. We talked about this when we looked at a little bit into quantum mechanics, back in the part about barriers to self-realization. You can go back into the podcast and listen to all of this. But perception as reality, which is what they want you to accept of as truth, is not, that is not true. I mean, you know, our perception is just how we see something at a given moment in time. It doesn't mean it's true. And everybody's perception is not equal. You know, everybody should strive to get to the truth so that their perception is harmonious with the truth. Not to just think that perception is reality. So speaking of perception, let's talk about the true eye, the one eye. Okay? So let's get into pine cone symbolism. Okay? I think that's what was next on, on the page. Let me check it out real quick. Or was the all-seeing eye next to the pine cone last? All right, we were going to do the all-seeing eye next, so let's do that. Let's look at the pyramid and all-seeing eye symbol. Okay, and we have 17 of them here. Okay? The first one just shows, this is image number one in the all-seeing eye section. The first one just shows a basic archetypal image, and it's thousands of years old of a triangle with an eye inside of it, okay? Now, this represents the threefold aspects of consciousness, thought, emotion, and action, being the three sides of this equilateral triangle. And the eye inside of it is the inward eye. It's the spiritual inner self, okay? And it says, it, it's, they put an eye in it because you're supposed to equate this with yourself, the, the eye, you are a reflection of this. When you get down to the deepest qualities of the self, you understand that you have a spark within you of divinity, of the divine. Okay? You are created in the image of the creator, and you have a spark of that divinity. It doesn't mean you're God. Anybody you know, trying to quote me as saying that doesn't understand what I'm saying. Okay? It means you are a part of the all and the all is within you, okay? And that is your true nature. And as such, this symbol also represents divinity itself and is used very often in that capacity. But it also represents the sovereignty of your thoughts, emotions, and actions coming together in non-duality and being like the creator in that capacity. Oneness, I, the letter I represents one, Okay, a straight line, up and down. One, or the letter I. Okay, it's, it's wordplay, it's symbolism combined. Okay, putting the I in the middle of the triangle. Okay, the three. The three and one. Father, Son, and Spirit or mother, okay? The trinity that we talked about being thoughts, emotions, and actions. Thoughts being the creator principle or father. Emotions being the sacred feminine or spirit. And then actions being the 
son, the byproduct of thoughts and emotions, which is a male principle because it's an external, externally acting principle. Okay, so this is what the all-seeing eye ultimately represents. Here you see another stylized interpretation of it in image number two with rays of light coming off of it because it represents the light of the creator. And that's a great image of it. V very uh, nicely rendered. Okay, Image number three, another stylized interpretation of the eye. The all-seeing eye with rays of light shining out of it. The source, oneness, unity consciousness, the creator, the energy of the creator, all-seeing, all-knowing, all-powerful, etc. Okay? Image number four is another representation from ancient Egypt, or Kem, okay, of the eye of Horus, okay? often depicted as a left eye, okay? And for a reason, okay? The left eye is connected to the right brain, or the right mind, Okay, the sacred feminine principle embodied with this one eye. Okay? It's saying get in touch with the right brain. Even back then, the Egyptians knew the functionality of the brain and that the right brain controlled the left side of the body. That's why a true stylization of the eye of Horus, which is the sun god of ancient Egypt, representing true morality and the truth. Okay? A true representation of Horus's eye will always be a left eye. Okay, and that's why. So, in images number five and six, we see the reverse side of the Great Seal of the United States. Now, I will not break this down entirely tonight. I'm going to do that. I'll have a whole show for that. Okay? Where I give my uh, complete interpretation of this complex uh, sigil. Because there's a lot of symbolism in it a lot of nested, hidden symbolism in it as well. But basically here we see the all-seeing eye above an incompleted pyramid. Now, very briefly, the incompleted pyramid in this image represents the physical world. It also represents the male blade, which we talked about, the upward-pointing triangle. That image above it is looking into the world from a higher dimension, a higher form of space-time, okay? It's peering into this world, and the light is actually reaching this world from it, meaning that, you know, the essence of the creator is not found in the physical world, but it pervades the physical world and it surrounds it, okay? And that's embodied by light. Now, our goal is to transcend the chains of the physical world to be sovereign under the creator. So it's to get past that pyramid so that there is nothing between us and that light. There's no barriers or walls. You can look at those bricks as walls being erected between you and the light. We need to take them down. See, a dark mason builds with bricks, builds with walls, builds with barriers, wants to cut people off from their essence. It wants to remove the light from the world. And again, there's a dark interpretation of this symbol because dark masons, they want to be God, right? 
dark occultists want to be God. They're control freaks. They want to be all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present. They want to be God. They want everybody else serving them because they're God and everybody else is a slave in their worldview. Right? They have the divine right to rule people. So they look at themselves as that all-seeing eye. Not that it is within them, a spark of it. Not that they can embody it, but that they can be it. So they want to erect that pyramid so that they finish the male-dominator world, the blade symbol, right? And they rule it in secret. So then the, the true light of the creator would be blocked out of this world and that they would rule it from the hidden shadows as the elite. So in, that, in their interpretation, in the dark interpretation, that all-seeing eye represents the elite as God. And many people call that symbol uh, the, the eye of the Illuminati. And it, it can equally be seen as that. But again, it's only one interpretation of it. There's a positive side and there's a negative side to it. And these occultists take sacred symbolism and they use it in their agendas. They pervert it and use it for themselves. They don't create anything new. They take existing things. The whole idea there is nothing new under the sun. They take something which already exists, pervert it, and use it as a weapon. Something which could have been originally pure and good. And we have to be more mature about that and understand that symbolism serves dual purposes. It depends on who's using it. It doesn't mean one thing. Okay? Image number seven. Here we see it used in religion. And, you know, I wonder what people who are against... Um, you know, the so-called uh, New World Order symbolism that is depicted here, who are also religious, think of an image like this. Here you have a uh, cardinal or a bishop. Uh, I, I'm assuming he's some kind of a uh, high-level priest. It looks like he's probably a bishop or something. I think that's what that staff represents. And he has the illuminated all-seeing eye behind him. Okay. It's been traditionally used as a symbol for God. In image number eight, we see it used again. The all-seeing eye symbolism in a stained glass window in a church. And it's beautiful. Absolutely um, a fantastic piece of art there with light shining through it. I did not take that. I wonder you know, who did, but uh, it's a great image. And again used in religion. Here we see in Jerusalem. I believe that this is a sepulcher or a um, some form of a chapel, and above the lintel of the doorway, we see the um, all-seeing eye with the rays of, the, of light coming out of it. Again, again, this is partly solar symbolism because the embodiment of light the light of God coming down to the earth is symbolically represented by the sun. That's why you see light always coming out of, out of the, uh, the eye symbol as well. So it's used extensively in religious symbolism. That's the key point I'm making here in this section. All right? It's about 10.15. We're going to go till 10.30 tonight. Um, after 
that we see some examples of it being used in um, corporate logos again. Now look at the next image in number 10, AOL, okay, which was really huge online service, not so big anymore, but still a big media conglomerate that deals with information. This I is often used for anything dealing with high amounts of information. It will also be dealing with things that involve trust. It will also be used in monetary situations, okay, when we see it in corporate logos, but most of all in anything that deals with intelligence, okay, intelligence, media, money, flow, etc., okay? So here we see AOL used it in their logo, and that's an older stylized uh, representation of the AOL logo, America Online. Image number 11, Fidelity Investments. Here we see, again, I just alluded that it was used in trust in image 11, Fidelity, okay? And you have the trust. You, you could trust in this company, folks, just like you can trust in the creator itself. Can't you tell by the logo? Yeah, we'll put the all-seeing eye logo above the pyramid there, and uh, that's true trust. You can trust your investments with us. Image number 12, Sitgo Gasoline. This is a pyramid as seen from above. Okay? Again, the symbol, this is actually a tetrahedron image. Tetrahedral geometry is uh, based in sacred geometry. They're using this in gas here. The pyramid. Now, the pyramid, okay? Th this is getting us ready to understand this eye symbol in the middle and its shape, okay, as a little uh, uh, shape like the vesica Pisces as the pineal gland, okay? Because the pyramid itself, it's always used in conjunction with the pyramid because pyramid means fire in the middle, pyra, fire, like pyromaniac, right? Mid, middle in the center, the fire in the center. Again, it represents the divine spark at our spiritual center. And it also represents the coming online of the pineal gland, the all-seeing eye or Ajna chakra. So that true spiritual eye or that true spiritual vision that helps us to discern the truth is turned on, is awoken in us when the hemispheres of the brain act in unison with each other and come to a place of balance, which is known as the chemical wedding. So that's why the pyramid is used. Here we see the eye in image number 13 by itself. Image 13 shows the CBS logo. We saw that when we looked at Vesica Pisces in, in astrotheological Piscean symbolism last week. But again, it represents the eye. You're watching it or it's watching you. Look at image number 14. It's certainly uh, having to do with putting, the, in, in the uh, sense of the CBS logo, putting things into the mind to shut down the eye, actually. Image number 14, when it comes to media propaganda, image number 14 is the Information Awareness Office, which we just uh, saw come to light several years back, you know, after 9-11. It has uh, the all-seeing eye with the pyramid looking down over the earth because that's what the go goal of this is. 
is to be all-knowing, gather information about everything and everyone. It says at the bottom there, scientia, scientia est potentia, which means knowledge is power in Latin. DARPA, I believe, is a Department of Advanced Projects, something, something to that effect, DARPA. Um, I don't know if someone on the uh, look it up, but that's essentially what it's connected with. I believe that's what that says up above. Let me see. DARPA is see what the acronym represents. DARPA is Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. I was pretty close. Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. So this is a uh, this is a um, subset. I believe, of DARPA, and uh, their job is information gathering, total awareness, okay? And there you see the all-seeing I used in conjunction with that idea. Simo uh, similarly, in image number 15, we see British intelligence using the all-seeing eye. This is the uh, emblem for British intelligence connected with the British crown, which is MI5. Okay, so this is the Queen's Intelligence Unit herself, and you see the eye at the top above the pyramid with the capstone cut off, it acting as the capstone with the eye in it, the symbol of the eye in it, and the letter I, M-I-5, the eye is at the top, okay? In image number 16 and 17, we see it used in conjunction with Freemasonic symbolism, and again, the light of the Creator, which which Freemasonry is ultimately about attempting to bring, true Freemasonry is about ultimately attempting to bring uh, forward, is depicted there above the compasses in the square uh, with the G in the middle of it, which we will break down uh, probably in about two weeks. Okay, In image number 17, I won't break this whole symbol down, but uh, it is, I'll do that when we talk about Freemasonry, but I'll just briefly allude to it here. This is the first degree tracing board of Freemasonry. I have briefly mentioned it before in the past. I'll extensively break it down in a couple of weeks. We see the, the pillars of uh, Joaquin, the light pillar leading to the sun, and Boaz, the dark pillar leading to the moon, and in the middle representing the synthesis of this chemical wedding between left and right brain uh, hemispheres is the all-seeing eye. Again, lies at the top of the pillar of wisdom, because that is the representation of how wisdom is attained by combining the masculine and feminine forces that dwell within us to come to the light of the Creator. Okay, And it, that is done by climbing that ladder, and we need the key in the middle of it, which is connected to the green initiate, which we talked about the color green, representing care or love energy or uh, true nature, and um, you know, symbolized by that color, that is where uh, that is that represents care, true care, and we need that to as we climb begin to climb that ladder of awareness. And that key is dangling by a thread, which represents care, meaning that the world 
basically. The care of the people of the world is dangling by a thread, and that is the goddess principle that we need to reconnect with and, and reunite with, um, being true care. That's why dark occultists always want to crush and kill true care within us and get us to only care about money or power or greed, etc. So let's, let's wrap up tonight looking at the image of the pine cone. We could go into this a little bit next week, um, but um, I'll spend the, uh, the last few minutes of the show, won't take any calls this week, talking about uh, the pine cone symbolism as also representing the all-seeing eye, as representing the pineal gland coming into activation. So we see the pineal gland's position in the brain in image number one in this section, in pine, on the pine cone symbolism section on the website. Um, we see that it lies between the R complex and the uh, telencephalon, which contains the neocortex, the higher part of the brain. It's, it's basically toward the rear side of the limbic system, the midbrain. Okay? So it's positioned... Uh, behind the hypothalamus um, <clears throat> and in front of the cerebellum. This is the third eye. It lies at the center of the head and this is the glandular activity associated with this gland is truly activated once we balance the left and right hemispheres of the brain, which unfortunately the kind of food that we eat, media that we take in, the uh, opinions that we hold through, uh, you know, who we listen to and pay attention to, all affect this part of the brain. The conditions that we live in affect this part of the brain and affect the ability to balance uh, the brain hemispheres and to activate that part of the brain. That's what they want to keep suppressed. In image number two, we see the Pope holding the pine cone. We saw this when we looked at astrotheological symbolism. There it is in his left hand. At the base of the cross of Christ, we see the pine cone because it is symbolically representative of Christ consciousness and symbolically represents the awakening of the all-seeing eye that exists within us. The Vatican believes that this uh, imagery is so important that they actually created an entire uh, statue with imagery of the pine cone at the Vatican itself. It's called the Court of the Pine Cone, and the next one, two, three images will uh, show you the Court of the Pine Cone. There you see it from the front in image number three. It has two peacocks that are associated with alchemical symbolism on either side of it, and they also represent in this image as it is depicted the brain hemispheres. One is on the right, one is on the left, and they are both looking at or pointing toward the pine cone, which represents the awakening of the true spiritual center within our consciousness. Here's a wide-angle view in image number four of the court of the pine cone. This is a great, clear image taken by tourists at the Vatican. And you can clearly see the, uh, the symbolism leading up to it, how it is elevated on a pedestal. There are steps on either side. There are lions on either side, okay? There is a water fountain down below of a, a, like a green man spitting out water, okay? The, the, the whole thing forms like a pyramid, this whole base that it rests upon, and then the peacocks are at the top 
and then the pine cone at the very top. And this pine cone is about 10 feet tall from its base, the largest statue of a pine cone in the world at the Vatican. They wouldn't put something in the Vatican if it didn't mean a whole lot and wasn't significantly important. Okay? Here you see an image number five, and I'll let this be the last image for tonight, and then we'll continue, we'll wrap up with the pine cone image next week, and then we'll talk about goddess symbolism. But here you see the backside on the opposite side of the, uh, the image. You can see there's Taurus there down below from that other angle, and you see an empty sarcophagus. Now what that represents is resurrection, the resurrection of the spirit, okay, which was once in the grave, but upon the unification of the left and right hemispheres, the spirit is activated because the pine cone or pineal gland is activated. And indeed, this is what the pineal gland actually looks like. It, is, it looks like a little pine cone. And it also looks like an eye if you turn it on its side. Okay? It's all connected, folks. It's about the coming together of the left hemisphere of the brain, the right hemisphere of the brain, to turn on this gland, which activates our true spiritual awakening and then raises us up from the state of being spiritually dead, which is what the empty sarcophagus represents. It's not about the flesh. There is no body in that sarcophagus. There's not going to be one in there because it's about the resurrection of spirit. And the Vatican knows this, yet have they told you? That's what I thought. Because it's all about control. That's what modern religion is. Those, that symbolic knowledge is reserved for them and their priest class. It's not for you. You're just supposed to do what they tell you unquestioningly because religion is a form of mind control, ladies and gentlemen, and it always has been, and that's what it's going to continue to be unless we wake up to it and understand that they're keeping this esoteric knowledge for themselves while they use it to control us. I'll leave it there. For tonight, folks, thanks for listening. This has been What on Earth is Happening. I'm your host, Mark Passio. The show's live every Tuesday from 8 to 10 p.m. I'll see you right here next week. Good night.